She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, we're in the business of getting information to the American people, not making stars out of people that want to become contributors on CNN. And uh, that's a lot of times what we see take well, place in the briefing room. Uh, the State of the Union speech has been uh, canceled by Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't want to hear the truth. She doesn't want the American public to hear what's going on. We have a society in which there are an awful lot of people who have no idea that Stalin, Hitler, uh, Mao Zedong all came to power promising the same kinds of things that uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez is promising. I want to point out that she's a socialist. She wants 10 percent tax rates. Those are both accurate, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> Democratic, well, though. Democratic. Democratic socialist. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program today. Thank you so much for being with us here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We, it's it's been kind of a depressing news week. I'll, I, I'm not gonna not gonna sugarcoat it. We have had what I would consider to be one of those weeks where, if you look at it just in the natural, it looks like we're not doing so good. Even with the presidency and controlling the Senate, states are doing things that they're not just repugnant. They fly in the face of what a good what we call ourselves a moral society would do. And so that's that's kind of where we have to begin, isn't it? Isn't it time for us to just go ahead and admit that what the Bible says is true and we're not a moral society? We're a society full of people and people are depraved and uh, in need of a savior? Yeah, that's what we have to admit. So welcome to the program. Uh, we're going to talk about the president taking the high ground in the State of the Union fight. Maybe you tuned in thinking I'd be totally ticked off that the president said, okay, fine, we'll postpone but I'm not. I'm not ticked off, and there's a reason why I see the the wisdom in what the president has done. We're also going to hear, you heard uh, Ocasio-Cortez there in the intro lead in, a little bit of that audio. She's going to be um, running around the country on all the shows. She, this, is, this is a part of who she is now as a sitting congressperson, um, having the ability to get onto the late night television and get lots of applause lines for outrageous things like tax, tax rates of 70%. And when she goes into the details, she makes it sound so doggone reasonable, but it's not. So we're, we're going we're gonna to delve into that. We have Karen Cataline, political commentator, columnist, and, and talk show host coming on today. She's going to join us and discuss impeachment um, and how the Democrats' owned media apparatus has really convinced Americans that this is something that has to happen. Just like we know winter is going to come and you know, more than likely there's going to be snow, there's definitely going to be cold temperatures, and you come to expect that. And if you don't get that, you're almost a little like, you're, oh, it's a, it's a mild winter. It becomes a real topic of conversation. Democrats have positioned impeachment as such an inevitable inevitability that most Americans are thinking not if, but when. When do they impeach President Trump? So we're going to discuss that. And also, you might have been wondering if, if you ever watch the clips. I never watch uh, Morning Joe and Mika live, but I do sometimes watch the clips to see what they're talking about, especially since Joe Scarborough calls himself still to this day somewhat of a Republican. And um, so it was with interest that I've noted over the past few weeks, I mean, it's been a significant amount of time that that he and... Mika have appeared not to be in the same studio. They are, but there, it took some investigating by the Washington Post for us to figure out that they're, they're in Florida. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and the, the details surrounding that. I thought it was kind of interesting that people were so 
um, flummoxed by the appearance and, and there's a bit of a disjointery to their, to their communication uh, on, on air and the panels that they have, which previously everyone would be in studio together. And so it, it's just a kind of a change in their living circumstances for a bit now. And I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but we'll talk about that as well. Um, right now, I want to get into this thing with Alexandria. Just she, she calls herself AOC, so I guess we can all do that. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. She's asking what level, at what level are we really just living in excess? And she has selective amnesia as to who she feels should be held to the carpet. It's always those evil rich people. But my first question this morning when I was listening to this audio was, well, who is she talking about? And so she talks uh, about certain things that people have, and she tries to connect those things to this so-called evil of having too much. And then she brings in the people, unnamed millions who have too little, and tries to cobble all of that together. Now, obviously, this is a part of her socialistic practice, convincing Americans that socialism would be better, even though Americans are living at an unparalleled level of wealth and prosperity right now. And to be clear, even for those among us living in our society who are at the very low end of the spectrum and are poverty stricken, other people in other countries, other other citizens of other nations would give anything to live in American poverty. That's why people want to live here, because poverty for us is something meant millions, uh, over a billion people, nearly two billion people live in abject poverty across the globe. And those people would give anything to live in what we consider to be poverty. Because in this country, if you're poverty stricken, you can still get assistance from the government so that you can still eat and you can still live. So that leads me to the daily confession, which is coveting. Coveting leads to fraud and we're not supposed to do it. It's in, it's so important to God that it's one of the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments that you hopefully, you know, maybe memorized as a kid. Maybe you have them posted somewhere in your home. Maybe you're interested in the 10 commandments um, as kind of, you know, kind of a foundational bedrock for law, but we don't really pay attention to them as much anymore, but they're super important. And the Bible verse about coveting says you shall not covet, which means be content with what you have and don't desire things that don't belong to you. Now, first, first response from a liberal activist or someone who's concerned with ameliorating poverty would say, so you mean a person who doesn't have electricity or running water or what have you is living in abject poverty or is on government assistance that that person should be satisfied with what they have? No, no. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't strive to improve or strive to better your living circumstances. It means that you're not supposed to compare your life to others. So if someone you know or are in the vicinity of has a helicopter pad and a helicopter and you do not, it's not your job to say, well, we need to vote in people who will then take money from that person so they can't have that helicopter pad. Because the weird thing about people who get to that level of wealth, especially when they've earned it themselves is that they really overcome so many obstacles. So tax law is the least of their concern. They have people that they pay thousands of dollars per hour to figure out how to shield their money from excessive taxation, to take advantage of the loopholes that exist in tax law, which Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would definitely sign loopholes into any 70% tax scheme. Do you know why? She would do that because her cohorts 
are in that bracket. I just decided to check in this next audio clip that you're going to hear. She's speaking with Stephen Colbert. His net worth is 60 million. David Letterman's another reliable liberal progressive. He's 120 million. Nancy Pelosi, 120 million. Elizabeth Warren, 8 million. Cory Booker, who's just getting started, he's worth 3 million. And Kamala Harris, who's running for president, she's worth 2 million. The numbers for the rest of them, the leadership of the Democrats, anyone who's elected, are similar. Save the new freshman incoming class, separate them out because they're just getting started. Everyone else is worth well over a million dollars and many of them multiple tens of millions of dollars. So what does that say to us? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is singing into the wind, but she's not going to stop because she's found a place where she can get claps and adulation. I want you to hear this because there's a certain juvenile nature to the way that she speaks about these things. She's just there so she can be on television and she's just there to say things that enrage people on the right and get her claps on the left with no thought to what these kinds of policies have led to in the past. It's number five. So when we talk about a 70% marginal tax rate, it's not on all of your income. It's on your 10 millionth and one dollar. So after you make $10 million in one year, your dollars after that start to get progressively taxed at a much higher rate. And really what that is, is that it's the tax interpretation of one answer to the question of uh, how much is at how at what level are we really just living in excess and what kind of society do we want to live in and do we want to live in a city um, for example do we want to live in a city where billionaires have their own personal uber helipads when you people you can get those you can yeah. get those yeah oh yeah because the traffic in Lincoln <laughs> Tunnel sucks yeah. okay good to know now, he's joking around about how you can get those. That's, that's the voice of Stephen Colbert. But obviously, Stephen Colbert knows that you can get these helipads. Obviously, Stephen Colbert doesn't... He's not flying commercial when he goes to Washington, D.C. or New York or, or any place like that. He may have to deal with traffic, but he's not driving himself. He is a driver. I mean, when you're at the level that Stephen Colbert is or the level that AOC is, is approaching, please, please... Help me understand how this woman can logically draw a connection between one millionaire that she doesn't even know having a helipad, meaning a dedicated place with, on which to land a helicopter, so a parking place for a helicopter with access to then a garage where they can get in a car and travel. How does that connect up to abject poverty and living conditions in wealthy cities like San Francisco, which are completely run by liberals? If Stephen Colbert was even slightly worth even one one hundredth of his net worth, Stephen Colbert worth $60 million, he would have said, that's a neat idea, but um, aren't Democrats already in control of all the inner cities where the poverty is the worst? Aren't Democrats already in charge of m most of the poverty in this country? It operates in areas where Democrats are in control. He, he could have just said, but so if we deprive one millionaire of their helipad and give that money to government, how will the money go through government and get to the people where it's needed? How will depriving some person of their access to a helicopter pad make it possible for more people to come out of poverty? We've spent greater than the amount of our national debt. So 
it's at what, 20 some odd trillion and we've spent $30 trillion since we began the so-called war on poverty. And in that time, poverty has increased, meaning able-bodied people are still living in poverty and receiving checks from the government. So these people would be working if they were living in environments in which they were required to work in order to receive pay or food. But since they're not, and they've been trained from infancy on up to believe that they're victims, the natural recourse is to say, I am owed what that man with the helicopter pad has. What he has belongs to me. And so there are just so many, like over 100 million Americans living somewhere in the middle class between 55,000 and 150,000 a year. And they don't give any thought to there's some rich guy and he has a helicopter pad and I need to take from him. But there are also, you know, the other part of the adult population who are living in America today who truly believe that the only way to fix poverty is to deprive someone else of what they've worked for. And I know one of the things that people like to bring up, one of the responses is always, well, take Donald Trump. His father had money and he gave him a couple hundred or a couple million. I don't, I don't even remember what it was, but some, some, some large amount of money to start his business, his real estate empire. And he, and he allowed him to take over gradually what the father had, you know, created. But it wasn't as if, he, you know, Donald Trump just woke up one day and he was 19 years old and his dad said, okay, here's a, you know, here's a couple hundred million dollars and also here's, you know, part of the business. Donald Trump had been working with his father in the business since he was in high school, early high school. So instead of going out and hanging out with friends, he was in the office with his father, managing their rental properties and learning about the business. So some people would say he was given the opportunity to become successful. And sure, we're all given opportunities, but he earned the money. The father gave him the seed money, and then he used that working for himself to create what he has now. And he's just one example. And what's so funny about Donald Trump being the example of how rich people, you know, they're, they're so evil and they're so horrible is that generationally passed on wealth is such a tiny percentage of the wealthy people in this country. The majority of the people in this country who are in the 1% got there by their ideas and the sweat of their brow because we live in a country where that's possible. So what's the point of us coveting what they have? Instead, we should toss the Democrats out on their keisters and start implementing the free market so everyone can achieve more. We'll be back with our first guest after this. Who said this? Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. I was quoting none other than George Washington, our first president and father of our country, who said specifically that religion and morality are indispensable supports for our government and our culture. We're going to be going to Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington, in June and September. If you'd like more information on this, please go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. We'll also be going to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. If you'd like to do both tours or one or the other, that's fine. For all the information, again, June and September, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. We'd love to have you during these 2019 tours. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Here's a statement to consider. Without sacrifice, there's no Christianity. I'll say it again. Without sacrifice, there is no Christianity. Let's look at the concept of sacrifice. Think back to September 11, 2001. Think about the courage and bravery of the passengers and crew who sacrificed their lives to bring down United Flight 93 in a field in rural Pennsylvania rather than its intended target. Think of the thousands of American soldiers and sailors in the years since then who have given the ultimate sacrifice in Iraq and Afghanistan. Those sacrifices, as great as they are, pale in comparison to the sacrifice God the Father made. When Jesus inaugurated his earthly ministry, his cousin John was baptizing people. John looks up and sees Jesus coming, and he announces to the crowd in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. I want to make a couple of observations. Jesus is declared to be God's sacrifice, his lamb, not a lamb that was created, not a lamb that we're used to, but the lamb from heaven, the one without blemish, the one without spot, the one who came for a divine mission, and his mission is to take away the sins of the world. He wants to take away the devastation. He wants to save us from destruction. He wants to deliver us and bring us back to where we belong. He laid down his life so that we might live. What an incredible message. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Jesus returned to his Father having accomplished the mission. He gave his life for our sin so that sin would not take over our lives. The question is, what are you going to do with the Lamb of God? Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Find us on Facebook at Stacy on the Right and also Urban Family Talk and also American Family Radio. We would love to have you hit the like button or the follow button and uh, keep up with us online. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome political commentator, columnist, and talk show host, Karen Cataline. Karen, thank you for joining us today. It is great to, ha- to be with you, Stacey. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so um, it's, I, I've read, I read your piece over at KarenCataline.com, and you're talking about this impeachment. It's like a mantra. It's all over the place every day, every channel that you go on. People are talking about impeaching the president. And they're doing so because, as Joy Behar admitted, it is a fantasy for them. It's something that they just can't wait to see happen. It's all they live for. And that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I don't know how you feel, but while I've been watching this as long as I have, I've I've begun to think that, along with the many other reasons I've written about, that uh, the Democrats are trying to reverse a duly elected reverse an election, I somehow think that a lot of the Democrats who had to expend so much energy ignoring and apologizing and covering up for the previous president, I don't think it's an accident that they've accused this president of doing all that he actually did in plain view and more. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's a supposition. Well, I mean, obviously, there were no investigations into Barack Obama, the president. There was no attempt to remove him from office because 
everyone was acutely aware that any attempt to do so, even the word impeachment, would bring on whales of racism because we couldn't even disagree with him policy wise without people saying without well, that's being called ra- a racist. Right. It's racially you motivated. Know, yeah. Well, what we should do is that since you get called a racist for breathing today, which is a great disservice to uh, moral clarity and recognizing when there is racism, it, it does a huge disservice. But since everybody gets, since every Republican in the history of mankind has been called a racist and a bigot, my understanding is that you are black, I'm Jewish, and I'm called racist and bigot all the time for being a Republican. And since we're going to be called a racist anyway, we might as well tell the truth. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't actually give much much credence to that because, as as I've mentioned before, and I think you probably have had similar experiences being in the public eye, you only have to have one white supremacist email you or go to an event where someone's holding up a sign and you realize that person's an actual racist to understand that racial insensitivity or people being people, you know, people being uh, blunt and not politically correct is nothing compared to actual racism. The actual racism well, exactly. that motivates people who are full of hate, who'd li- who literally like to kill you, who would probably kill you if they didn't think you were armed to the teeth or there weren't police nearby. That is such a huge difference between what people, the word that they toss to you or toss to me because they don't like our politics. It's, it's just such a huge difference. Touche. And what is even uglier, but what is coming out and clearer, particularly in this last Covington situation, oh, yeah. is that the very people that have been calling us all racist and bigots because we support, and I won't speak for you, the, many of the policies of Donald Trump, Oh, I support the president 100%. From God, I do too. Um, (laughs) um, I do. (laughs) That we are racist. Well, what what a lot of that has been, other than to shut us down, shut us up, is is to cover up for their own ugly, despicable racism. Who was it who was racing? uh, Who was marching in the women's march? Anti-Semites, true Jew haters. Look what they threw at the Covington kids when. Uh, they didn't think that that was being videotaped. So what you really have is pure projection and uh, an attempt to cover up for their own crimes by calling everybody else what they're doing, what they are. Oh, my goodness. That's so that, I, I talk about that all the time, Karen, where they literally, whatever they're guilty of, they just say, no, you're doing that. And when you look surprised, they're like, well, you, you know you're doing it and you're guilty. And there's no evidentiary support for it. Like, I... I I want to go back to um, this impeachment thing. So yeah. if I've been waiting. And, and the first year of the president's administration, I said repeatedly on the air that now that there was an investigation. Pardon me. I just had this weird thing in my throat today. Um, now that there's an investigation. I've had if that there's, happen. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, go I know. There's, if there's something, then I would definitely want to hear it. I would want it to be exposed because we don't want someone in office who is guilty of something. And and so if the president was guilty of something, I would want it to be brought forward immediately so that we could see what needed to be done. And even though I support the president, I wouldn't want him to get away with breaking the law. Well, we're two years in now and still nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure. Not only that, but they've been crying wolf for so long. <laughs> um, 
the thing that I have mentioned on, on various radio programs, like on my own, is that Republicans, you can't possibly fight everything all at once because we're just getting bombarded. But to call for the impeachment of a president that hasn't even been inaugurated yet, as in the case of Maxine Waters, uh, <laughs> should tell us everything we need to know about what their motivations are. And remember, she said there didn't need to be an actual law broken for him to be impeached. She said so many things. I mean, if if you really want to see kind of a um, a timeline of psychosis taking over someone... Yeah where they become obsessed yes. with an idea. You know what I mean? Like the, the development of a tinfoil hat wearing persona. You can go back yes. to the beginning when she first started talking about it before he was actually inaugurated. And then you can watch over time as she gets into a place where it becomes clear she doesn't have reasoning. So she just starts saying, whenever I say impeach 45, the crowd goes wild. And that's why I say it. We need to be impeach him. He needs to be impeached. It's what excites people. People like it when I say it. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. If you go back through and just type in no, I, uh, Maxine I've Waters heard her and Peach, say it. yeah, and, and it's so, it's crazy. So it's the tail wagging the dog. Uh, yeah. Politicians are so insulated with their own sense of false importance that they think that when they say it, if it gets a big applause, uh, it must be true, and they better say it again. We're living in an alternate universe, I think, Stacey. Well, you know, Karen, I'm, I'm, I think the alternative universe was actually ushered in with the election of President Obama. But there's something unique about this because it's the same fervor, which would, I mean, I found it shocking the amount of actual literal worship that was given to Barack Obama because of his looks, because of the... Um, the PR machine that was behind him that would take those images of him walking under a billowing flag or the images of him and his family, which were undoubtedly, he has a lovely family. I, you know, there's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Maxine Waters. I, I, it's not that I can't see beauty or appreciate it in, in, you know, the opposing side, but there was a level of fervor for him that bordered on the maniacal where you couldn't criticize anything that he did. And so it's like the opposite side of that same coin. You, do you see what I'm saying, Karen? It's like people who there's nothing he can do right. Donald Trump is the actual literal devil. He's the demon from the Midwest. He's he's you know yeah. he's he's orange. He's this. He's that. All of the insults, but it's none of it rooted in you know. So they hate the wall, sure, but they don't really hate barriers because all of the people who are advocating against the wall have fences. They have you know they're they're worth millions of dollars. They don't really hate anything that he's proposing per se. They just oppose him because he's Donald Trump and he beat Hillary and they hate him for it. And it's not about anything he's planning on doing per se. It's not it's not really that where we had policy no. that we hated with. You're Obama. saying so many important things, you know, among my uh, careers in my checkered past, even being a, uh, a professional musical comedy performer, I went to social work school. I went to Columbia School of Social Work, which, yeah. interestingly, I was there when Barack Obama was supposed to have been there. Uh, it was a big school, so I didn't know who he was, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people say he wasn't there. Nonetheless, uh, to employ a little bit of psychology here, there's something we used to call, I don't know, still, borderline personality disorder, where everything is all black and all white. And that is not a racial comment whatsoever. It's anybody, no, I, someone yeah. is all all perfect or all evil, mm -hmm. and not being able to see 
the nuances and the individualism of each and every person, and they are perpetuating this. They're inciting this kind of stereotype. Remember when leftists used to say they were against stereotypes? And now they're creating them. They are wanting people to think in stereotypes, and, and they would never give Trump an ounce of credit for anything. And that's the real reason why uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi will not give him the wall, because she cannot afford to have him appear to win anything, anything Well, there's all. that, and there's also a level of—so— I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, I actually thank you. I welcome that um, that bit of, you know, adding in the psychological aspect, because you're right. People don't really talk about that disorder very much anymore, because if they did, a lot of people would recognize it in themselves and they change their behavior. So Democrats don't want people yes. to realize that they're We'd behaving like, you know, they're lunatics. But I, I've yeah. seen some of that on both sides of the political aisle. There were people that would be online in the comment sections who were like that about Barack Obama, where he couldn't do anything right. And I opposed almost everything that he stood for as a Democrat, but there were some good initiatives that he had in the mentoring area. And I did admit, you know, which I don't I don't feel like it's an admission. It's a statement of fact that he that he had a good marriage and he was clearly a very loving father and they had a nice family. But that would enrage people, not everyone, but a very small segment of people would email me and say, I can't believe you're giving him compliments. How dare you? You know, he's literally Satan. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure he's not literally Satan, but. I'm I'm just speaking the truth. Now, on the other side, when you speak of this vitriol towards Donald Trump and especially Nancy Pelosi not wanting him to win, there's also an element of her saying, you know, I can't believe you used to support me. Remember, he's given money to her previous campaigns, her, Chuck Schumer, all of them. I can't believe you used to be one of us and now you're not anymore. And by the way, how dare you think you can leave us and still survive? And so there's this element of, like, you heard her say uh, recently, like last week or the week before, there are two two co-equal branches of government. And as Speaker of the House, I'm equal to the president, which you and I both know from Schoolhouse Rock days, that's just not true. That's just not the way government works. Um, There are three co-equal branches. Freudian slip, wishful thinking, or what that was. But I thought that too. uh, She's been there so long, there's no way she could believe that, Karen. No way. Well, I mean, uh, AOC believes a lot of things that aren't true. Can I go back <laughs> to something, though, Stacey, that you said, uh, yeah. if I can? You um, you said something, I mean, so many important issues here. That's the thing. It's hard to keep up. That's the joy of doing talk radio. But, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, there's just so much to, to comment on. Um, when you talked about, you know, that he was some sort of god, Barack Obama, I mean, there's nothing really new under the sun because that, is textbook right out of textbook socialism, where mm. they want to put down religion, people who who feel accountable to something higher than themselves, certainly higher than government. They feel, uh, you know, and, and they are people that feel accountable to God, uh, and those who make the state God, and in order to do so, they elevate the dictators and mm. the leaders into godlike figures, uh, I'm going to take care of you and all of that, mm-hmm. which is merely a velvet glove. And then after they accept that, that's when the iron fist in the oven velvet glove comes out. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that is part of what is really going on here, uh, is, a, is a, a giant attempt to usurp the very values, the very principles on which this country has been founded, 
and turn it into their idea of a socialist utopia, which you and I both know is a socialist hell. It is. It's it's death and destruction. Hundreds of millions of people lost their lives last century due to socialism, which progressed into communism. And they they would not agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that all that's needed is for it to be democratic socialism, because that is when it will work. They would not agree. Um, I, I would I want to ask you in our last question, because we have about a minute mm-hmm. and a half left. What is Will Kamala Harris, this is a total pivot, and I'm sorry, but I'm just dying to know what you think. No problem. Will Kamala Harris be able to reuse the, the, you know, the magical cape of wonderment and, you know, he was our Lord and Savior and he was all these different things of Barack Obama when he went into the black communities and he got all of the black people to lockstep vote for him over 90% and he was able to use that to propel him over any Republican challenger in the, in the presidential election. Will she be able to replicate that? Well, I'm not good at prognostication. I'm going to be watching along with you. I think she will definitely try because the left always has the same playbook. Mm. Now it's going to, first it was a black person. Now it's a black female. They knew they wanted a black female because that's all they have is identity politics. Yeah. I think she'll try. And I think it's a race to, to find out whether Trump has made enough inroads into the black community because he's made enormous inroads in order to uh, get blacks to realize that they've been on the Democrat plantation. Uh, That's our hope. That's my hope is that they finally have freed themselves from these ideas that the government is going to take care of them and a corrupt government that has been using them as, uh, as uh, I don't know. uh, I, I always think of a football, like a, I don't know. I can't think of the word. But anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I see what you're saying. I'm, I kind of yeah. see her laying the groundwork, <laughs> but there's something about her that's different. So he had a charisma, you know, that um, when he would get before the microphone, he could say almost anything. He could lie, whatever. And the way he would say the things that he was saying was very conducive to that kind of hypnotic atmosphere that the Democrats are looking for. That's why they love Beto yeah. O'Rourke, but he just doesn't have what it's going to take. And they what do, do need think? a minority. Kamala Harris has it? I don't think she has the it factor. She, she certainly has the appearance. She's a beautiful person on the outside. But I don't think she has the it factor because she always sounds like she's cross-examining you. No matter what she's talking about, she sounds like she's cross-examining you. And that's, that's it's grating and it's annoying. She sounds um, I, angry, I, and yeah, she didn't yeah, she comport really herself angry. well in the Kavanaugh hearings at all. No, that, that's audio that should live on in infamy. Karen Cataline, political commentator, columnist, and talk show host. I love it when you come on and join the show. Thank you. We'll be back with more after this. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. I've come to see that Nehemiah was a leader who exemplified soul, selflessness, ownership, unity, and larger purpose. An exile who'd become a trusted assistant to a powerful king, Nehemiah gave it all up for the opportunity to return home and oversee the rebuilding of the city walls of protection. Nehemiah also took ownership. After he'd spent months praying about and preparing for his adventure, Nehemiah finally received the king's permission to return home. He led the entire rebuilding effort, recruiting overseers and laborers and overcoming obstacles. In just 52 days, they rebuilt the entire wall, which scholars say was about two and a half miles long and 40 feet high. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. We want America to be a godly nation. The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson. It's never been an issue of race. It's always been an issue of the human heart. A passion to see America rise and shine like a city that's set upon a hill. The problem in America has always been sin. Don't miss Bishop E.W. Jackson and The Awakening. Weekday mornings at 9 Central on Urban Family Talk. I found myself in jail, too intoxicated to remember what happened that night. Another inmate had mentioned Teen Challenge. I gave my life to Christ, and this is the place that helped me lay a new foundation. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult and Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country, and you can find the one nearest you at 855-AND-ADDICTION or at TeenChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. From America's election headquarters. Florida's decision to allow 1.4 million former felons the ability to vote has many wondering how the decision could impact future election outcomes. Clarence Office Jr., a military veteran who served a three-year prison sentence for a drug conviction, is one of those ex-convicts. As I've gotten older, I, I see now the significance of being able to vote. University of Miami Associate Professor Joseph Huzinski says which party benefits at the ballot box is up in the air. Men tend to vote Republican, but on the other hand, given the socioeconomic status of this group, it could go in the opposite direction, too. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says his main goal is to make sure there's a uniform process in place across the state to implement Amendment 4. In Miami, Alina Shirazi, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We have a society in which there are an awful lot of people who have no idea that Stalin, Hitler, uh, Mao Zedong all came to power promising the same kinds of things that uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez is promising, and it led to mass murder, it led to dictatorship, it led to genocide. Uh, th these promises are old promises, and they invariably lead to bad things. The promise of just saying to people, do what you can within the law to make your life better and your family's life better, that system works extremely well. Capitalism is a system that allows people to make something of themselves instead of oppressing other people. It's an incredibly good system. Making money is one of the most harmless things there is to do in the whole world, and that's what our society is about. It's not about ordering people around, putting them in concentration camps. What do you do if a person is a richer person than a poorer person? What do you do? You take him away? Do you shoot him? Well, that was a, that's what the communists tried. It didn't work out very well for them. And in, in, in the end of the day, we wound up in Russia with one of the most unequal societies there's ever been in the world. In Vietnam, which promised all these things, we wind up with one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And he just named off a couple. That was, of course, Ben Stein. I'm sure you recognize his voice. He's, he's so easily recognizable because of the, t the tenor of his voice. And he was talking about how Stalin and Hitler came to power promising the same things as Ocasio-Cortez. 
And I've, I've really been dismissing her. And I notice a lot of people spend a copious amount of time making fun of the, the idiotic things that she says and the mistakes that, that she makes. And like, she doesn't know what kind of government we have. She's, she's college educated, but she doesn't know anything about economics. She doesn't know anything about finance. She's completely inept at you know, simple tasks that most of us consider to be a routine part of being an adult. But then I went online and I took a look. I actually tweeted her uh, yesterday or the day before about something she'd said. And of course, I didn't get a response, but I noticed that she has you know, almost 3 million followers on Twitter. That's the kind of following on Twitter that you have if you are a television star or a movie star or maybe a music star. Um, that is not a typical Twitter following for a member of Congress, especially someone who's only been a member of Congress for like, you know, a month. Um, the reason she's so popular is because she's attractive, she's young, and she's really like she she gets out there in a way where she kind of presents herself in this kind of really you, you heard the audio. She has this almost youthful presentation that makes people want to give her the benefit of the doubt for getting things wrong. And she's presenting herself as someone who wants to help. But don't all dictators, don't all purveyors of evil come out? They, no one comes to you and says, so if you agree with me and implement my ideas, you're going to end up poverty stricken. Or if you resist, you'll be dead. No one says that. Hitler didn't come to power promising to kill everybody. He didn't come to power promising to inv in invade every country on, you know, that he could get a, a foot soldier inside of. He came to power promising prosperity and unity and all the things that people kind of hear and they're like, ooh, that, that sounds good. It tickles my, my, my feely feels. I, I love the sound of that. But the fact is we know there will never be a utopia here. And it is up to the adults in this room, the room being America, to take control of this situation. And, and so... Before we go into our next subject, um, and, and I want to take calls, let me first give the number out, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037, if you want to join the program today. I, I got to say something, you know, we don't get the level of depravity that we have going on in our country without someone who knows better holding back and saying, I just can't, I, you know, I got too much on the line, I can't, I, I have too much writing on this, I can't. And we've all been there. Have you you know, thought about saying something to someone and thought, oh, well, I wonder what, you know, she'll say or I wonder what kind of backlash I'll get. Or have you thought about, hey, you know, this is something that's wrong and I need to say something about it at my kid's school maybe or, or, or in church or wherever. And you, you have this little nagging feeling that if you say something, it's going to make you not just unpopular, but it might end up with having some negative repercussions for you. Well, first of all, God is your shield and buckler. God is your high tower, your fortress Shad under the shadow of his wings, we will find refuge. So there should be no hesitation when we see evil for us to step out and say, not today, Satan, not in my neighborhood, not in, not in my kid's school district, not in my municipality, not in my town, not in my city. You may want that to be the policy, but now that I've heard what evil you're planning for all of us, I'm going to get me 10 friends and they're going to get 10 friends. And between us, we're going to beat you. You are not going to bring that evil here. No, not today. You can bring it here after I'm gone, because as long as I'm here, you're not going to be in charge of me. And that is what we have to start doing. We're late to the party. The party's already in full swing and all the drunk folks are taking over. We've got to get this under control from the perspective of if you know what is right and you don't tell others what is right, then how does anybody know you know what's right? We are standing by and watching and, and the horror that's coming 
is more of what we saw in New York yesterday. And, and so many people came on the Facebook page and they were posting about how you know, their hearts were hurting. And I saw other people on my timeline that I'm friends with on Facebook from across the country crying out, saying, Lord, have mercy. And other people were saying, you know what? Judgment, judgment, God, bring the judgment. You know, I, I used to pray for mercy. Now I pray for judgment. I pray that you bring down the hammer. And if it hits me too, so be it. That's what I saw yesterday. People literally just openly weeping and upset about what happened in New York City. And I talked a little bit about it yesterday. You know, obviously the numbers, it just doesn't add up that New York of all places, one of the, the, the it's like the haven for abortion there, where in the black community, more babies are aborted than are born alive. But across the state, they abort about half the pregnancies. So it's, it's like a religion there. And it starts in churches, schools, homes. It starts in that whole idea where your child has made a mistake and you're that family and you have it together. And so that means your child can't be walking around with their stomach poked out their freshman year in college or their freshman year in high school. Your stomach can't be that kid who your, your kid can't be the one who's going to be pregnant and then a mom as a sophomore in high school. And so the only way that you can prevent that is to send her to live with some relative in a far off distant land or She's got to have an abortion and Lord forgive us because we don't want to do this, but we can't have our family be that family. And every time that happens, every time a family says that decision is the one we have to make because we have to preserve our reputation, that contributes to what we're seeing now, which is New York state. It's, it's partially, I, I want to give them some benefit of the doubt in that, you know, when people are engaging in sin, they have blinders on. And part of what they're doing in New York is they want to stick it to the Republicans, the so-called holier-than-thou Catholics, the people who are, call themselves Christians, the evangelicals, the ones who want to control what we can do with our bodies and the choices we can make. And so they're saying with this decision, you know, we don't care what we ever said about abortion. What we're saying is we know you're going to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg with some fanatical Christian, some Catholic, some person who doesn't believe in abortion. So we're going to make sure in New York, not only can people have abortions, but they can have all the abortion they want even up until the due date, and if the baby is born alive, because it's an actual baby that's ready to be born, we can finish it off on the outside of the womb too. And it doesn't have to be a doctor. And it doesn't have to be in a licensed facility. And if some man has raped or molested a teenage girl, which is, this is Planned Parenthood specialty, helping those guys out. If she gets pregnant and shows up and wants to have an abortion, or he brings her there and wants her to have an abortion, and she doesn't want one, well, abortion wins. She's going to have that abortion. If her parents say, you need to have an abortion, and she doesn't look like she's into it, oh, we're going to give her that abortion. And there's nothing you can do about it. They have removed all of the criminal elements of forced abortion or coerced abortion. In other words, abortion by hook or by crook, free, down and dirty, we're going to do it, and we're doing it to, to let you know we're in charge here and you can't make us. You can, you can change anything you want. You can reverse Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court. We don't care. In, a, in New York, you're going to be watching us do abortions any way we can. Anyone's going to get to do them and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's what they're saying. And I tell you what, they're right that there's nothing that I, Stacey Washington, can do to stop it individually but I certainly will be on my knees in prayer asking the one who can do something about it to bring down the justice that belongs 
in the face of this scourge, which is people intentionally sacrificing all of these babies, babies who are wanted. We have millions of infertile couples across the country who are desperate to adopt a baby. And these people are actually spreading abortion so that there, there's no opportunity for that. Not to mention the untold horrors that the women go through after they've actually had the abortions. The psychological damage, the higher rates of suicide, the self-harm and abuse that they go through. It's demonic. What do we have to do? We have to open our mouths. We have to stop sitting by as the church and letting this be the law of the land. It starts with us. And we're not doing what we need to do. And that's why they're getting their way. They won't have it forever, though. Whether we sit or stand, eventually God is going to bring justice in this area. The question is, when he brings the justice, will we be standing with him or will we be cowering in fear because we know we didn't do what we needed to do? Let's go to the phones. Hey, Devin in Kansas, thank you so much for calling the show. Can you hear me, Stacey? Yes, I can hear you. Thanks for calling. Great. Um, I wanted to address the politician who was suggesting taxing the rich at 70 percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the thought that I had was instead of just entirely telling her to go away, uh, responding with saying, hey, let's uh, discuss making an adjustment. Uh, I know President Trump was making tax adjustments early in his presidency. Um, And my thought was that uh, just to point out, help her see that she's just way too abrupt, but we can address how to help pay off the national debt in the States and and have a dialogue. Well, that's the thing. We collect a record amount of taxes every year. Every year we exceed the year before and we collect a record amount of taxes from American taxpayers, but our debt doesn't go down. And that's because we haven't addressed the spending problem. And so no amount of taxation can tax us out of the hole that we're in with our deficit. We have to address the spending. And uh, I, I compare it to there's a little adage if you're in the whole weight loss world like I am where, you're, you know, you're battling with your your appetite for lasagna and, and ribs and, you know, all that stuff. Um, there's a saying that most nutritionists and especially trainers will tell you, which is you can't outwork your fork. You can't outrun your fork. So if you're overeating, no amount of exercise will stop you from either maintaining or gaining weight. And it's the same thing with your spending. If, you're, if you want to address debt, you cannot address it by bringing in new income if your spending isn't curtailed. And so that is what we're seeing right now. Uh, let's go to Raji in California. Thanks for calling the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Uh, I'm a, uh, what they call African-American in California, and I think the Democrats are totally disgusting. I mm. think that they're aborting our children the same way they did in Egypt. I'm also a Hebrew Israelite that's totally disgusted. That's totally disgusted by what's going on with the uh, fake Israelites uh, that was in Washington D.C. And we believe that they're uh, pro intel quote. We don't believe that they're actually real Israelites. Oh, okay. Um, now, how do you know if you're a black Israelite? 
Like, how do you prove well, that? Well, there's no such thing as a black is. There's no such thing as a black Israelite. That's something that's created by the media. Okay. And we reached out to Tucker Carlson to talk to him, but he won't have us on the show because it goes against their narrative with the people that's in the land of Israel today. We do not hate white people. We do not cuss out children. We don't do any of that. We're against abortion. We're pro-black family. And we actually have white people that are in our church. So we're not against MAGA hats or anything. We think that's just totally ridiculous. Well, okay, but how do you how do you know if you're a part of the group that you're in? Is it like a genealogy thing, or are you just join the church? No, oh, it's a church. church. Okay. Being a Hebrew, I was sure. Being a Hebrew Israelite, being a Hebrew Israelite is like calling yourself an African American. There's no word African American in the Bible on purpose. So when we call ourselves Hebrew Israelites, we're just referring to the nation that came out of the land of Israel that eventually was taken over to America according to the Bible. Ah. So they don't want to discuss the Bible. They don't want to discuss the Bible because the Bible unravels their narrative of the people that's in the land today, which the Bible speaks out against, Revelations 2 and 9 and 3 and 9. But we're not the people that's on TV, and it's making us look bad as a, as a society, and it's making us look bad as a culture. We've never had a terrorist attack. We've never attacked anyone. We don't cuss out people. That's the people they see online that actually work for pro-intelquo. They're working for the United States government to eventually aim that and say that the black Israelites are doing this, this, that, and the other. Because the time for America is coming to an end for the wickedness that they're doing to the indigenous people, to the black people, and also to the white people now. All right. Well, thank you for calling and for explaining that. We appreciate your call. Um, We are up against the top of the hour. And so if you're in the call queue, hold on. We'll chat with you after this. Um, If you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. I want to thank you for making American Family Radio your home during the day and in the evening and at night and overnight. I love my uh, messages that I get from people who listen overnight. It's a fantastic audience. And we're so grateful to have you. Um, I want to also just really quickly, I'm checking for tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow, yes. So we're going to speak to Cesar Grijales, Director of Coalitions for the Libre Institute about immigration, and he has an interesting perspective because I believe he's an immigrant. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation. God bless. Have a fantastic day. OneNewsNow.com, news and information up next. <laughs>